Hey, what's up, everybody? On this episode of the podcast, we're actually doing something a little different. We have a guest expert interview. I sat down with my good friend, Leanna Hawkins from Blackhawk Financial. She's from Canada. She's the author of Young, Fun, and Financially Free. And we're talking all things money. We're talking what inspired her to write the book. We're talking about investing from a female perspective. And she's going to share her story of how she got first introduced to the stock market and investing. So I'm excited to bring you Liana's story and insight on the podcast. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Money, Markets, and Mindset Podcast, where it's all about learning how to have your money work hard for you instead of you working hard for it. And now your host, stock market coach and options trader, Jason Brown. So, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Money Markets and Mindset Podcast. We're actually recording this one live. I got my girl, Liana, here. And uh, if you don't know who she is, uh, Liana is a financial wellness and marketing expert. Her firm, Blackhawk Financial, which I love the name, (laughs) by the way, uh, helps their clients generate revenues through providing value and education to their target market and investors. Liana herself has over 11 years of experience working alongside numerous funds, private and public companies worldwide uh, in various financial sectors and with fintech, which is financially tech companies that create software and products for the financial markets, alternative assets, real estate, um, you name it, she has her hand in it. And then she's also an accomplished business media host and a best selling financial literacy author with the most recent release book, Young Financially Free, which we have here. And we're going to be giving away a signed copy of it as well. So we'll let you know about the details of how to get that signed copy or get a chance to win the signed copy. So Liana, welcome. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I'm excited to have you. We've been trying to put this together for a while. I had a baby. We didn't have a nanny. Uh, you're over there, uh, at least currently in uh, what Vancouver right now. Yes, today I'm in Vancouver. I am always bouncing around, as you know, about as much as your little eight-month baby, I bet. <laughs> Mine's usually on a plane, not in a baby jumper, but um, right. yeah, I'm super busy all the time, running around, crazy entrepreneur life, usually between LA, New York, and Vancouver, uh, where I currently am. That's where I started my company, Blackhawk Financial, because I grew up here. I was working in London, formerly in finance, and then came back here five years ago and started my company. So here today, but gone tomorrow. And uh, (laughs) I'll be moving to New York in about a month or so. So yeah, we're going to be moving our company over to New York and always changes, lots of changes going on all the time. Yeah. I know we were talking about that before we hit record and and started rolling. So I'm excited for you and everything that's to come with that. So let's dive in. For the people who don't know you and, you know, my audience is, uh, you know, a lot of stock market investors, options traders, and also some people who are just interested in getting into the market. They're not necessarily um, in the market or not necessarily investing. And I would love for you to just share with everyone, what was your first introduction to not just money, but like money and the concept of having money work for you, whether that's investing, whether that's saving to get a better interest rate? Like, what was your first introduction to like, all right, I need to figure out how to have this work for me or 
how does this whole thing work? Because everyone's talking about it. I know I'm going to have to get into it at some point. Well, my first introduction to stocks and the markets was actually when I was in high school. I was watching sort of naturally watching CNBC after school every day when I came home at three o'clock or three thirty. And it was on my own naturally that I started watching it, but also introduced it a little bit because of some friends of mine. I had some older guy friends um, that had previously gone to school with me and were now in college and they had started trading stocks. And I had seen that they had come home from college in the summer. And because they had been trading during the day when they were at school, um, they had started to acquire nice cars and a really nice lifestyle. And I was asking these guys that had been older buddies of mine through sports and through school, um, like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> You're going to school. How do you have really nice cars and a really, you know, fancy lifestyle? And they were telling me what they were doing. And um, so I started to ask more and more and they started to tutor me a little bit. And they said, you should watch some of these shows um, like Squawk on the Street and Fast Money. And I would PVR record them and watch them after school when I go home from high school. And um, I did the same thing throughout college and then Mad Money with Jim Cramer started and I would watch that show. And I actually found him, um, you know, love him or hate him. He's got the crazy energy, but I started to watch his show and he actually did a really good job at educating as well with some really simple vocabulary lessons and stock picks. And even if whether or not I was going to invest in those stock picks once I was in college, I did with some of them, I would buy the stocks, but I would write them down in a little black notebook. And then once the show was over and I stopped watching it, I would go look them up on CNBC's website or look them up on Morningstar. And I would look them up on a diff like other different platforms with research and analyst notes. And I would figure out what other analysts were saying about these stocks and just really basic self-teaching. I started reading books like The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. And I started just learning on my own and then went to college for business and finance and just started the whole road down the financial world. <laughs> so I love it. Your story sounds a little bit like mine because, well, slightly, I mean, we grew up like super poor and I always just wondered how people afforded these houses and cars. Uh, but in your case, you're looking at the college students, like, how are you guys affording it? And I think that's, that's like the beginning stage for everyone, uh, which is awareness, right? You're just aware that there's something more out there. And there's something different from maybe working your nine to five job to get it. And for you, that was just seeing, you know, some people that came before you that wasn't that much older than you. You're like, what are you guys doing? I love that you started uh, researching and using the free tools and resources because I find that uh, a lot of people don't get started because they think they need a lot of money. They think they need a big fancy computer. And that wasn't baby step number one is, you know, Dave Ramsey has his baby steps. That wasn't baby step number one. Baby step number one was number one, being curious and asking a question. Baby step number two is doing some basic research, YouTube and Googling it, or in your case, CBS Mark and watching it. When people think about investing, like what are you seeing as a female in the industry when either other women come to you or other men come to you or working with some of these companies? What are some of the roadblocks that most people are letting stop them, letting get in their way from getting started in the in the stock market or even beginning their their search? So in my book, uh, Young, Fun and Financially Free, right at the beginning of the investing um, section, I say that there's three major myths to investing. And the first one, like you're saying, far and wide is 
I don't know enough. Investing is too risky and too complicated. Um, you really don't have to know a ton to get started. You have to know the basics. And that really is putting a little bit of money aside out of every paycheck or every time that you have income, um, whether that's starting with 1% of that paycheck, 5% of that paycheck, um, or the more heavily guided towards what most financial advisors and experts in the industry say, which is somewhere between 10 and 20% is a really great amount to be putting away into your savings and investing. But just starting with a little bit, putting it into something other than just a checking account, which checkings accounts right now make nothing less than inflation, which is typically two to three percent. So your checkings account is making less than one percent. So in the long term into your retirement, you're losing money by having anything just sitting in your checking account. Or if you're just spending it and putting money on your credit cards, you're definitely losing money over time. But if it's just sitting there and you're not investing it, you are losing money over time to inflation. So you have to invest your money. So number one, whether you know nothing or you know very little, uh, you have to learn more. You have to teach yourself. And that's part of being an adult. It really is a true responsibility. So take the time to teach yourself a little bit. You know, go to the, the brownreport.com. Teach yourself a little bit with some of those free resources that are available to you and go on YouTube. Look at some of your videos. Those are amazing free resources. So that's number one. Number one myth, people think that they don't know enough. Number two, people think they don't have enough money. Like I just illustrated, if you have $100, you can start a DIY discount brokerage account online. Open it up with 100 bucks and just put it into an ETF if you want, or put it into, open up a robo-advisor if you're too scared to start doing stocks on your own or ETFs on your own. Number three, again, like I just said, they think it's too risky. It's completely the opposite. It is way, way, way riskier to do absolutely nothing than to start doing a very little bit of something. So those are the three biggest myths in investing is that you don't know enough, you don't think you have enough money, or that it's too risky. But those are all debunked, as I've just said. And when I think about risk, I'd love to get I'd love to get your thoughts on this, because you said two things that kind of tie into risk and not having enough money. And the first thing you said was, you know, you should be putting away 10 percent, 20 percent. What what are some things you did to or if you did this? I don't know. But can you speak to things you've done to put yourself in the position to where you would have 20 percent to invest? And, and what I'm getting at is you can't live up to 120% of your income because that means you're borrowing 20%, right? So like you're spending everything and then you're going negative on credit cards. But what are some practical things that people can do? Because I think most people live at financial redline. I mean, I need every penny that comes into my household and then I have nothing left to invest. So what are some practical either tips or things that you've done to put yourself in a position to say, oh, I only live off 70%, 80% or 90% and I have that extra 10% because when you have that 10%, in my opinion, I think that helps with the fear because you don't need that 10% because it's extra. So now you don't fear, quote unquote, losing it. So what are your thoughts around practical things people can do to put themselves in a position to have an extra 10%, whether that's live below their means or make more money? Well, I think that everybody knows, um, and if you don't already, you should, that number one, the easiest thing to do first is to cut back expenses and live below your means. It's a lot easier to number one, first, look at your spending patterns and look at your month to month or weekly expenses between yourself and your family 
and cut back there or look really what your true values and your true needs are within your family and how you're spending your current income than it is to automatically or immediately start making more money. So it's a lot easier to make those initial moves and that initial analysis than it is to go out and get a better paying job or start a side gig that's going to start making more money right away. So those things are things that you can do two months out, three months out, six months out and start generating more income. But if you can do an initial analysis and look at your debit cards, look at your credit cards and see what did you spend money on last month and the month before, even just look at the last two months. Because if you kind of do it right off the bat and not think about this previously, that's a pretty that's going to be a pretty good analysis of what your average spending looks like because you weren't really trying before. So if anyone is thinking, hey, I am living to my maximum every month or you're going into debt every month, if your credit card balance is growing month to month, take a look at your last two to three months of spending sit down, put it into categories of just needs and wants. Even if you just split it up into two things, a list of needs and a list of wants. Needs is food, shelter, children, medical expenses, um, things of that nature, things that you absolutely need to live off of. And food, you can even break that down because your food bill, you can absolutely save on. Buy things that are seasonal, buy things that are on sale. You don't need to be buying everything at full price. You don't need to be buying brand labels of everything. You can buy no-name brands, those types of things. Um, But look at your last two to three months of spending and start cutting back because most people think that they're living to their maximum every month or going into debt every month. And that's a necessity. And it's not necessarily a necessity. Like people living in their homes um, that they own, you don't need to own a home. You don't need to live in the home that you own. You might be able to rent out the home that you own and go move into a rental. Um, that's a little bit smaller and that's actually within your means. You may have bought a home that is too big for your britches um, and you can't afford it anymore. And there's no shame in the game of renting out the home that you own because it makes more sense for you financially right now. And you know what? It doesn't have to be a forever thing. It's not a failure. If it makes more sense financially to rent it out for six months or a year, And you can even leave your furniture in it and rent it out furnished because that makes 30% more rental income. So do that furnished and, you know, with yourself on your own or your spouse and your partner, or even if you have a a child or two, why don't you move into an apartment or a rental for six months or a year? You could save so much money by just making that sacrifice for six months to one year. And you might even be able to pay off all of your credit card debt or one of you or your spouse's student loans in an entire year. By just making that one sacrifice for that term alone and imagine all the stress you could take off your back or imagine how much you'd be able to invest in that one year making that one sacrifice. So sometimes these are big changes, but people don't think about how that one change could really make an impact on their future. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. And I think when people hear that, some people might tune out and be like, I'm not moving to a rental property. I'm not selling my home. And I think what you're really speaking to that people don't realize before we we, we cut the mic on and start recording is that like I moved back home with my mom twice. We were just talking about like I moved back home twice. All right. And we were just joking before we start recording. It's like, but we make these sacrifices for where we plan to be. Right. And it's like now, okay, we live at, we got a house on the lake and we're home throughout the day and we have a nanny and this and that. And it's not to brag, but it's like, 
sometimes we have to make the short-term sacrifice right now for the long-term gain. And it's amazing how many people will hold on to something that's killing them, something that is blocking their chance to invest or get involved with other opportunities. They're, I call it mortgaging their future, right? They're mortgaging their tomorrow for today. Like, well, at least I get to stay here today, even though I'm going in debt, even though I have no new opportunities, I won't be able to invest. Forget about thinking about retirement. I'm just not going to make the changes today because I just I don't want to give up anything today versus saying I'm only going to get this up for six months to a year. But next year we'll be back or we'll be back in better in a better situation. I don't think a lot of people um, look at the long term. They look at what am I giving up now? And, and like you said, you know, forget what people think about you. People are like, well, what are my friends going to say? I guess such and such fell off because they moved back home or they're renting out their house now. But it's more about who's going to have the quote unquote last laugh if you're even worried about uh, anyone having a laugh. And if someone's laughing at you, they're probably not your friends anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's so much plays into the whole. I mean, you obviously talk so much about mindset and I do, too. And yeah, like, I mean, you're just in six months or a year down the road, nobody's going to care. And you're going to be in so much of a better mind mindset. Who cares? Who gives a darn about the Joneses? All of those people laughing at you are probably so insecure because they all have debt and they have their own financial insecurities going on. And they're all going to have financial envy of you in a year when you're in a totally different place and you will be so much better off for making those money moves that are going to improve your life. But sometimes it does take a shift like that in your mindset and a big change to be able to put you, yourself or you and your family forward in a new place. But yeah, sometimes you got to think outside the box and make a change like that to be able to get to a place where you can start investing or be out of that place of debt. So you can, yeah, make a, make a new move and a big change in your life. And I have a question for you, but I want to share a quick story. And I wonder if you heard this before that I want to drive the point home and then we'll move on. I've, I've, I've heard a story before. I'm not sure where I heard it before, but there was a man who went to a village. He was a finance professor. And he said, I'm going to interview, you know, everyone in this village. But he said he picked two people. He said he went to the village and said, tell me, who's the two people that say I don't make enough money and I can't have any opportunity because I don't make enough. I'd love to invest, but I can't. And everybody told him about these two people. And these two people were both like school teachers and they both made forty thousand dollars a year and they both had two kids. Right. And so. Uh, actually, one made 40000 and one made 50000 but both school teachers, right? And so they went to the first person and the first person, they said, you know, so how much does it take to live? You know, you got a wife, you got two kids, you got a house, uh, a car, food, everything. He said that person was like, absolutely $40,000. You can't live off a penny less between the kids, the school, the wife, the, the car, the dog. You need about $40,000. Then he went to the next person had two kids, wife, car, school teacher, and he made $50,000. He said, how much does it cost bare minimum to live? And this person said, $50,000. <laughs> like the two kids, the wife, the dog, the car, food, $50,000. And so his point was, you got one person with the same circumstances that said it absolutely takes $40,000 to live. You go to the second person, and they say it absolutely takes $50,000 to live. And he's basically saying, what happened to the 10000 in between? 
And so the, the, the takeaway from the story was, number one, there's something that the $50,000 person could potentially give up and free up $10,000 and still be living a decent life. And then there's also something that the $40,000 person could learn to increase their income by $10,000 and not increase their living expenses and create an opportunity for themselves. So sometimes it's something that you need to learn and something that you don't know. But sometimes it's also something that you can cut to generate that income. And to your point, there's you can do both and it's not either or you can learn something new and there's also some cuts you can make. And I think when you pair those two together, you create incredible opportunity. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, I'm into the a lot of wellness things also. And I think that sometimes when you open up space in your life and you make a big change like that, like these big money moves, if you make a money move in your in your life like that, where you're willing to sacrifice something in your life, like moving into a rental or something, or you're you and your family are coming together to make a big change for the greater good of all of you. I think it makes space in your life and in your mindset for big opportunities to come in, like, you know, sacrifice something and maybe you'll get that promotion at work. Maybe you'll get that raise that you've been asking your boss for, for the last year. And, you know, it's all a part of like, you're putting good energy out in the world that you work hard, you're willing to sacrifice and you deserve money to come into your world. So I think that all of these things together can really build positive energy in your life with your money and your finances. So Yeah, but you got to work hard at it. It's, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and maybe one day it will. But, you know, you can't just expect debt to be forgiven out of nowhere because those collectors will find you. If you're going to spend money, the credit card companies will charge you interest and they will take it. So if you're going to keep spending, if your patterns are going to stay the same, nothing in your life is going to change. So you've got to change your patterns yourself. And there's something powerful about the entire family coming together and saying, we are going in a new direction. Not you, not mom and dad, but we, meaning everybody's willing to sacrifice and go towards a new direction. And so speaking of going into the new new direction, share with me, when you think back over, you know, your life, I know we're both still fairly young. So it's funny when you say, think back over your life as if we're 70 or something, but. A lot has happened in this last 12 years for me. (laughs) Right. So what was the, what was the biggest lesson learned from like a failed investment? So you, you made the sacrifice, you get in the game. I think people think every day is a home run, which it's totally not. Uh, and you, you had to put in some work to get to where you're at. And you're, you know, like we talked before the camera comes, you're still putting in work to be get where you want to be. You're still not done. You're still making sacrifices. So talk to me about a lesson learned from a failed investment. You went for it and it still didn't work out. I mean, there's a lot of in terms of actual investments. There's been so many different things, I think, especially for people that work in finance. Maybe there's actually a lot of people even in your community that work in finance. A lot of the times in our world, we get compensated in our careers as part of our compensation package. A lot of it, sometimes maybe half of it, sometimes for me, even half of it, I have taken compensation as stock 
in the company, particularly when the client is a junior company. Uh, so they don't have much of cash resources and they want to pay you more in equity uh, because they see the, the growth in the company. You know, if the stock is quite low and it's volatile, they'll want to give you more equity options. Most of those have not worked out and you still have to work your ass off. And so a lot of the time that has not worked out. I'm still waiting for some of those to go and become a 10 bagger, but they're probably not. So, you know, you make a lot of the, you take a lot of that risk on when you're young and you're working really hard and you hope that it's going to pay off. And so far, none of those have paid off. You might've traded your financial intelligence for stock options and it never became an Uber. It never became a Lyft and you just, you know, you invested your time and your resources, but the payoff just didn't hit, at least not yet. Yeah, (laughs) and they probably won't. And that's just a a career example. In terms of actual investing, from a personal perspective, uh, just being out there in the open market, there's been different examples. But for me, personally, I've always been a long-only investor for the most part. When I was really young and I was starting out, like the example I gave when I was starting in high school and then in college, I was doing a little bit more of actual trading. But for the most part, I've been swings to long-only trader, um, which is not really trading. It's just investing. And I just felt that way because I personally have been really busy with my career. I haven't dedicated as much time to the actual trading side of it. I've been more into research. So fundamental research, um, not looking at at the technicals as much, except for when I'm looking at a buying opportunity to get into a stock. Um, And now my my personal portfolio is about 40% individual stocks and the rest is ETFs and some ADRs from um, some international opportunities. So I think a couple things that I wish I had done. One of my first investments was Apple when I was probably 20. Um, And I sold it maybe four years later. So that was uh, how many years ago? Seven years ago. (laughs) I wish you would have held on to that one. Yeah. yeah, When I was young and um, buying a house or almost buying a house. And uh, I wish I had held on to Apple a little bit longer. <laughs> Clearly, I think, yeah, that's a little bit of a regret. But I don't, I don't really regret that much. I think that when you're investing, um, particularly when you're young and you're fairly new to it, it's all a learning experience. I think sometimes when people are new to investing, they find themselves over trading. This was actually just a conversation I was having on Instagram with Uh, one of my friends who's a uh, wealth manager in Boston. He's actually awesome. He has great content too. Modern Wealth Builders is his uh, Instagram account too. You can all follow him if you want. He has great content. Um, His name's TJ. And uh, we were talking about how on platforms like Robinhood, um, a lot of young new investors tend to be over trading. And I actually didn't really know that this was a thing, but I think about back to when I was 2021 and I was starting to trade um, and I was more of a trader back then, but I didn't really, to be quite honest, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have enough knowledge. I hadn't gone through a course or followed someone like you, um, Jason, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't really have the knowledge. I had been through college. I'd been through business school um, and I had self-taught myself, but I don't think I had enough knowledge. And so anyway, my friend TJ was showing me all these reports about how people are on Robinhood over trading because it's free trading. 
So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, Jason, but um, I think that's something that people should definitely watch out for because that um, we were discussing about how this, that could create issues for people that really don't have the knowledge or know what they're doing. And I believe that investing for most people, unless you're a professional trader, should be or have the knowledge of being a proper trader should be more of thinking about your long-term goals or a primary goal, like saving up for a down payment for a home. Um, and if you don't have that knowledge, you shouldn't be over trading. And a platform like Robinhood could lead people down the path of doing activities such as that. So or I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but... You bring up a very good point. I think, you know, for everyone listening or if they're watching it, a couple of things you said that I don't think a lot of people think about, and that's taking a step back first. And are you an investor or a trader? Because I did a podcast episode or a YouTube video that said, what's the difference between investing and trading? And I talked about how trading can be part of the overall investment plan, like an investment plan it's just a, a, a goal and a structure to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And in that, it's like, OK, I am going to do some trading. But why? Because mm -hmm. I'm going to take that money and also buy a real estate property. But why? Because I want to also take that money and I want to eventually buy a McDonald's. But why? Because I eventually want something throwing off $100,000 worth of cash that people eat burgers every day. It never goes out of style. And that'll allow me to cruise into my retirement. So the long-term goal was retirement. And then there were these steps along the way, trading, real estate, buying a popular franchise. And all too often people get in and just like, I just want to trade. And it's like, well, do you know why you want to trade? And, you know, for example, me, when I was in college, I used to take more risk because the reward, I would risk $5,000 trying to make 20, 30, 40,000. Now the tables are turned. I'll be a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in a trade. I don't have the appetite to risk my two hundred grand in one one transaction trying to make four hundred grand. It's like mm, I'd rather do something more longer term, like you said, and maybe make fifty thousand that year versus trying to flip it in two weeks to a month, right? And so. I think you have to understand why you're doing something and what's your long-term plan. So I love that you broke down, you know, you, you are more of a long-term investor. It's just important to actually know who you are and not just do things because it sounds cool. And when you bring up Robin hood, because it's commission free, you say people might overtrade. I see this a lot of times in my group. They'll be like, the stock's down today. What do you think we should do? Should we close it out? And some people might think I'm crazy. I'm like, no, the pattern's still there. We're not doing anything. Like, it's down big today. But it's like, you're looking at daily ticks. It's up today, down tomorrow. But when you zoom out and look at the chart long term, it's like the stock went from $20 to $200 in a year. And it's like, had you just left it alone and not done anything for six to 12 months, you probably would have made way more money than all the in and out and trying to time it every single day. And so I think to your point, people might hyper trade like Trump sends a tweet. Let's get out. The stock market's tanking. Then two days later, the stock market's up. Everybody forgot about what he tweeted about. And it's like you got to calm down and think about your overall plan. And then you also have to look at the, the, the long term 
of what you're trying to do and are these the right puzzle pieces to help you get to what your long-term plan is? I think a lot of more people need to think about that and they don't, they just, yeah. they're just on to the next thing, trying to make a quick buck. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So people, I guess are missing the, missing the point of invet being invested and being investing in that activity or being a trader. And that's sort of like what I got caught up in, what I loved when I first started investing or being a, a little bit of a trader that I was back when I started when I was really young, is I loved the hype of the media, of the markets, when I first started watching CNBC. And I loved it. And that's what, you know, that's what drew me into the excitement of this entire career. I loved being able to make money online and do a little bit of trading. And I loved watching the media of and following all of that. That being said, you know, of course I know now, and now that I, I am involved in financial media as well, clearly, you know, someone should be getting all their information about investing in the markets and, and trading by watching CNBC every day um, or by watching any financial media every day. You need to have other resources to learn from. But it's the same thing with trading. A lot of people start learning by trading. And that shouldn't just be your, your only resource. You shouldn't be trading for trading. You should be trading for a goal. What do you trade? What is, yeah, what are, what are you trading for? What is your amount of money that you're looking to make for what? And then you make that and then you move on to the next goal. Um, but then if you're trading, you also need to have long-term goals because everybody, no matter who you are, you need to have retirement goals. You need to have those long-term goals as well, which is investing. Exactly right. At some point, you're going to need to retire. You're going to need to sit down. So tell me this. Another reason I was excited to, to have you on. In fact, you're the first guest. We've never had a guest on the podcast. I was like, <laughs> if when we do, it will be you because we've been trying to coordinate this for a while. But one of the things I that actually looked, I tried to find another video of a guest. I couldn't find one. No, no, you are the first. <laughs> and I was not going to have anyone else on before we had you because of all the uh, coordination we've been trying to do to get this together. <laughs> so but one of, one of the things that attracted me to you and having you on the show and wanting to connect because I was we met at FinCon. Most people don't know. It's a, a financial conference. Um, PT and his team, Philip Taylor. That's what PT stands for. Because People are like, what's a PT? But Philip Taylor puts on FinCon every single year. Awesome guy. Um, awesome conference. Uh, shout out to uh, PT. We'll probably tag him in this episode. But we met there. And what I love about FinCon and you is that there's there's not, at least in my circle, there's not a lot of women in the space. And you could probably imagine, I'm sure you have your own bias, but when I grew up, growing up looking at this industry, it was all older white men and no disrespect to older white men, but that's all I saw on TV. So I definitely didn't see black males and I definitely didn't see females of any color, black, white or indifferent. And so now we're in a space that with social media, with the rise of computers, we don't have to go to Wall Street necessarily to get exposure. You don't have to ask somebody, can you be on their show? You can just whip out your phone or, or jump on an interview like this and get exposure. So what would what would you say to or what are your thoughts about women investing in the market and the whole rise of, you know, you don't. We're not in the old days where you're, you're barefoot and pregnant, so to speak, or you, the woman has to stay home. Right. Women are going to college. They're voting. Obviously, they're they're, they're becoming breadwinners. I think this year 
was the year, I know you're in Canada, but in the U.S., it was the year that the most women ever had got elected to Congress, right? So women are kicking butt. And so what would your message be to women who are maybe a stay-at-home mom, or maybe they're a professional out there getting it done in the workplace, but they haven't crossed over into either believing or trying to control their own finances when it comes to investing, you know, what would you say about that whole movement and, and to those ladies that may be listening or to the husbands that sometimes the husband's like, oh, my wife wouldn't be good at that or can't do that. And it's like, you don't know who you're talking to. The women are kicking butt right now. So what, what message would you give either to the husbands or to women who are just like, I think this is something I can do myself? Well, I think no matter what your situation is, so as a woman, whether you are single or whether you're married or with a partner, a, a spouse, you definitely need to know what's going on in your own financial world. So whether you have, again, like a spouse or someone that supports you financially and takes care of that in your life and takes care of your finances for you, you need to know what's going on. It's no secret or surprise to anyone that partnerships don't necessarily last forever or someone in your life, unfortunately, like that person that takes care of that role for you in, in the financial world of your life um, might not be around forever. People, unfortunately, you know, pass away suddenly or not suddenly all the time. Heaven forbid, if that were to ever happen to you as a woman in your life and you did not have that person there, to explain those things to you, where those accounts are, where all of that information is, how those things are managed, where who your financial advisor is, where does that man or woman work? What kind of fees do you pay this person? You would be completely blown sideways if something in your life were ever to happen. Um, and if you're a single person, if you're a single woman, it's kind of like myth number one I said in my investing chapter, like it's too complicated, I don't know enough. Being unaware or turning a blind eye, whether you're a man or a woman, to finances and being an adult, be, that is a completely irresponsible thing to do. There's just no other way to say it. We all need to take respons responsibility for our own finances and our own life. And it's not a, a slap on the wrist or a, a scolding thing that I'm saying here. This is something that everyone, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, whether you're a stay-at-home husband um, and a father and your wife is the breadwinner, that's so common nowadays as well, like going the other way around. Couples and people that are living together um, or individual people, um, everyone needs to take care of their own finances because, yeah, like I say, if you're a stay-at-home father and your wife is out, you know, making the money and bringing home the bacon, your partner could leave you, whether it's divorce or death, at any time. You need to know what's going on. You need to know where those accounts are. You need to know whether your family has debt or not. You have no idea if the breadwinner in your family is actually bringing home the bacon. What if your family actually has debt and you do not know about it? What if the mortgage actually is not getting paid and you don't know about it? What if your spouse actually got laid off and is out there looking for a job every day and you don't know about it? Stories like this happen all the time. Like it's scary. It is so scary in the financial world and with financial advisors that I speak to, friends of mine. And it's not because these people don't love each other. It's not because they aren't deeply connected to each other. 
they are. And they sometimes people do this and you hear these stories and it's like they didn't tell the other person because they love them and they care about them so much that they didn't want them to worry. They wanted them to know everything was going to be okay, And they just couldn't bear to tell them the truth. So it's not because they want they wanted to hurt them or deceive them. It's the opposite. But it's better to start those conversations and be open with each other, know what's going on financially. Again, whether you're a man or a woman, it's more typical to be a woman and have your husband out working and coming home and bringing home the paychecks than the other way around. But it could be the other way around. Um, Anyway, and so, you know, as a single woman as well, if you're not married, you've got to take control of your own money. Um, and it, the same thing goes for, for single guys as well. Like, you know, my whole book is about being young, fun, and financially free, no matter what age you are. It's primarily read by people in their 20s to 40s, but anyone that really needs to get like the money 101 and figure your stuff out because we're all here because we really want to live our best lives, no matter what your paycheck is. Um, if you're bringing home $20,000 a year, um, or you're bringing home $200,000 a year, if you want to live in a hammock in Thailand, or you want to live in a penthouse in Manhattan, I mean, we all have different goals. We all have a different level of income and we all need to learn how to live within those means and still be able to save some to be able to live comfortably when we're older. So, but you got to take care of your own stuff. You gotta, you have to learn how to adult and you have to learn how to take care of yourself first so that you can take care of the other people that you love and care about as well. I love that. You have to learn how to adult. Is that what you said? (laughs) I like that. None of us learn, none of us learn this in school. Straight up. (laughs) None of us learn this in school. So you have to learn to teach yourself. You gotta go online, you gotta read a book. You've got to do a course, like you've got to do something because none of us learned this in school. I mean, we've got to hope that your daughter, maybe she'll get some really good financial literacy in school by that point. But none of us learned how to invest in school. I I went to school for business and finance. They didn't teach me how to open up a discount brokerage account online. They didn't teach me how to buy a stock. They taught me the definition of a stock. I mean, that was it. That's a that's a very good point. I think a lot of people believe that going to school is going to give them the skills needed. And it's like school teaches you a version of investing. I always say they like to teach you the book version. And then there's the way it works in real life. You know, I always look at Tesla and they say, well, this company doesn't make money. Or you can look at Uber, a company that loses a billion dollars a year, loses billion is actually worth I don't know what it IPO that it was like 40 bucks, but I guess based on the amount of shares, it IPO worth several billions, even though it loses a billionaire. So if you go by the school's textbook definition, it's like this company should be bankrupt. But out here in the real world, you got people that are willing to pay for the technology, the app, uh, and what it can be in the future. And that's not always what's priced in what they teach you in schools, to your point. There's how it they teach you how it works, and then there's how it how it how it really works. What's your call on Tesla? <laughs> you know, I I think Tesla is going to get to a price point where it's worth a buy, and I wouldn't be a long term doubter of number one, Elon Musk, but number two, 
just the technology. All right. And so if you look at where everything is headed, is headed towards a more green environment, is headed towards a more electric friendly environment. And I think anytime that you're ahead of the curve, right, you're always going to take some bumps, some bruises, right? Because it, it hasn't become mainstream yet, an electric car. So if you go back to people riding horse and carriage, and now you're like, there's this guy, Henry Ford, you know, assembly lines trying to make cars. You're like, that'll never catch on. Or now he has one or two cars and he's making money, but he needs to go to, to bank and borrow money to stay afloat. I think Tesla and Elon Musk is the modern day Henry Ford. I think he's still trying to figure it out. He's still trying to get his assembly line down, his cost down. But I definitely believe that that's where the future is going. And even if he quote unquote, gave up today, there would be several companies in line to buy his battery technology, to ask how are they creating these electric cars, to buy his autonomous driving technology. So there is some intellectual property that he could sell to GM, the Ford, the Chrysler, the Toyotas, even if he decided to quit today. So, but he doesn't have quit in him. So I think it's going to be one of those things where 10, 20 years from now, we're going to be looking back and saying, when it was $170 a share, kind of like Apple, PCs were the main computer. And then Apple kind of had to struggle, but they finally hit it. And now you want a Mac more than you want a PC. And then they introduced the iPhone and it totally changed the game. I think that's the same thing with Tesla. You, I wouldn't bet against them. You go look up, you go beat and create an electric motorcycle or something. And we're going to be like, okay, I want the motorcycle. I want the car. They're already creating, uh, I think in 2021, they're coming out with the electric semi-trucks and it has autonomous driving on that's supposed to help semi-truck drivers. Like if they fall asleep, the uh, autopilot will kick in and actually still drive the truck so it doesn't run off the road. I'm telling you, they're working on some groundbreaking stuff, but they're just ahead of their time. And obviously the stock market sometimes punishes you for that, um, for every little mistake, but man. Premium. (laughs) You know, valuations, not my thing, but I think long term at a certain point, I would have to look at the chart. But at a certain point, I would consider grabbing some shares. And it's kind of like you said, you're a long term investor. It's just something that I would put away and not look at for five to 10 years. And of course, it could yeah. go wrong. But man, those are the things that obviously if everybody knew, we'd all buy it. Right. If you knew Microsoft would be as big as it was your parents would have invested more back in the day. And so you never really know what's going to hit, but you bet on the entrepreneur and you bet on the way that the world is moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you say like what specific multiple, you know, now we're going back to the book valuation, which is like, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I, I 100% agree. There's obviously, there's no denying the the technology there or Elon as a crazy brain in and of himself with all of his ideas and his uh, ability to guide thoughts and innovation and um, a team of engineers. But in terms of leading the company, <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? That's easily outsourced. He could bring in a CEO from somewhere else if he need to. But I, I think Tesla, I wouldn't bet against have the ability to shut down whatever account they want. Right. right. But that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't bet against that guy. 
So, Liana, oh man, it has been fun. It's been a pleasure. We got the book Young, Fun, and Financially Free. We'll either be doing some type of giveaway on our social media. So make sure you're following us on Instagram at Brown Report on Facebook. It was a pleasure to have you. Where can people find you at? And if you were to describe the, you know, the person that you help in case they're listening to this podcast, um, who would that person be? So who do you help and how can how can they find you? So my two biggest platforms are Instagram at Leanna underscore Hawk and Twitter at Leanna Black Hawk. And um, yeah, most people that follow me are people that are pretty new to financial literacy and investing. Um, I talk a lot about health as wealth as well. So kind of how wellness and living a healthy, uh, balanced lifestyle all ties into being really financially well and having that young, fun and free life. I love my life. I think I've got a pretty wicked lifestyle. And um, <laughs> a lot of people follow me to watch my crazy, crazy life also. Me and my dog traveling the world <laughs> and um, running my madness of a show. And um, yeah, so Instagram and Twitter are, are probably my biggest places. And I would love for anyone to follow me there. And um, yeah, the book is also available on Amazon, Young, Fun, and Financially Free. And all of the proceeds of the book go to the We Charity, which supports income and economies for people in third world countries, uh, developing countries, mostly in Kenya, actually. And um, that's a charity that's international. And I love supporting them. They're fantastic. And yeah, I would love anyone to buy the book so that we can help support that charity. So there it is. We're going to be giving away a copy of the book. Make sure you go follow her on Twitter and on Instagram. We'll be sure to put post the links uh, below on all the platforms that you're either watching or listening. It's been great. Any final parting words for the investment community? I just hope that everybody loves their life and loves themselves and their families enough to uh, invest a little bit of their time, not a ton, but just a little bit of their time every week or every day, every month, whenever you see fit to get inspired by money a little bit or finance and investing um, by following or looking at someone's information like uh, Jason's YouTube videos and Jason's social media content um, and mine and other people in the FinCon community because there's so much awesome free stuff available and I know both of us put so much time into what we do and we do it all for free and we pay people to help us put this all out there and I know that so much of our heart and soul goes into it and we hope that you all enjoy it. And it's really, really great um, for you. You deserve it. Everybody works so hard. You work your butts off and you just need to know a little bit. You really just need to know a little bit to be able to have that young, fun and free, wicked life that you deserve. So just learn a little bit and uh, you'll be good. So there it is. Take a step every day. Don't be selfish and think about who you could potentially help and impact from learning not just how the stock market works, but investing in, in general and by picking up the book and those proceeds get uh, donated to the We Foundation. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being a guest on the Money Markets and Mindset podcast. And we'll see everyone on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Money Markets and Mindset podcast. We hope this episode has been educational and inspirational. 
To learn more about how to have your money work for you inside the stock market, visit www.thebrownreport.com.